Well, this morning, you know, we've been going through the book of Joshua and been having fun to to learn about how God has been dealing with certain leadership styles and different things, how God works with certain people and and directs those people. Sometimes they follow, sometimes uh, he goes from behind. You know, it's kind of all over the place. It's interesting how God works that way and how the Lord fights for those that he loves. And this is where we hit on a very interesting chapter last week, this chapter where Joshua goes after what we call the Anakites. And in in Joshua 11.21, it starts out, it says, At that time, Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country, from Hebron, Debir, and Anab, from the hill country of Judah, from all of the hill hill country of Israel. Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns, no Anakites were left in the Israelite territory, only in Gaza, Gath, Ashdod, did any survive. And we talked a little bit about how God is dealing with, with those giants in our lives, the different aspects that are in our lives. And you might remember the, the spies 40 years ago came out and, and there, there were these giants and they called them the Anakites, and, and they said, they'll crush us like grasshoppers. And they hear Joshua, here, here he is 47 years later, and Anakites have come down. And they, and they uh, you know, almost got them all. They think, okay, we've won, we've got victory. And yes, the, the, you know, but, but these are going to be the same families that are going to have to come up against the, these Anakites, these giants, the same relatives 400 years later. 400 years later, King Saul is sitting in his tent shaking and, and afraid to go out there and fight because Saul was supposed to lead them, but he's afraid. And this happens in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, you know, the giants were living down in Gath, and, and this particular man had, had four brothers, And 400 years later, a little teenager had to come and throw a rock and kill one of these guys that should have been, you know, his family members should have been killed 400 years before. And when we don't fight our battles completely, then somebody in our family, somebody in our lineage, maybe our kids or our kids' kids, or it keeps going down the line, are going to have to fight some of those same battles because we didn't decide to take care of them way back when. You know, sometimes it's alcohol. Sometimes it's raising our children a certain way, maybe in a godly household versus just a household. It's easy to come to church. It's easy to come and, and act godly. It's easy to, to, to say, bless you, brother, or I'm praying for you. It's, all, it's easy to do all those things, but it's much harder to do these things when you're at home or work, when you're on the job, or maybe, maybe it's when you're home with family on the holidays. But if we don't deal with these giants, I mean, it's great that they could, took care of most of them. I mean, th- that's great. I mean, they cleared out a lot, of, uh, lot, lot of the land, and they had, you know, they were able to rest for a little while. But they didn't deal with all of them. If God has you fighting giants, then fight them all. Don't stop until it's done. So the question is, what are your giants? Is your giant anger? Is it low self-esteem? Is it divorce? Is it adultery? Is it addiction? Is it false religion? You know, is it, you know, child abuse? So therefore, this is how you discipline your child because you were disciplined this way and you think it's right, but really it's, it's it, you know, it's, it's child abuse. What is your giant? God wants to defeat those giants in your life. And he gives you help through the Holy Spirit to do that. 
So your children's children won't have to deal with the same issues. And if you believe that God can do it, he can and he will. So I thought today would be a good chance for us to go back to 1 Samuel and look at how God dealt with giants later on and how, you know, how he can use us to defeat them. I don't know how much you know about the, the book of 1 Samuel. I love the book. I love teaching the book. Uh, I love how God uh, used uh, all the different uh, historical figures to, to, to do his bidding, to do his will in this world. But, uh, you know, to, to see David, a man after God's own heart, and to hear his heart and understand him is just amazing. The first 16 chapters sets up the contrast, uh, you know, to the beginning of, of David's journey. And in chapter 16, Samuel comes to Bethlehem, to see Jesse. This is a very famous city. This is where Mary and Joseph, uh, you know, had Jesus and so forth. But he went to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the new king of Israel. And Saul, you know, he basically showed up and he said, but Saul, you know, Jesse's like, Saul will, Saul will, will kill me. And, and, you know, Samuel said, don't worry, the Lord will figure it all out. Bring all your sons and, and and he brought all his sons, and he went down the line. He said, "No, this isn't the one. No, this isn't the one." And he got down to the last one. And he said, or he got down to the end. He says, "Do you have any more sons?" And Jesse basically says, "I brought all the ones that could possibly be king, but I do have one more. It's just David. I mean, he's a little shepherd boy. He's out in the fields. He's like, go get him." And sure enough, he anoints David as the future king. Now, for David, the expectations, you know, from his family were really, really low. They didn't think he would amount to much. He was kind of a short little guy and, you know, maybe he had long hair or something. They just didn't like him. And only two people really had great expectations for this young man. The first person was the Lord. The Lord had wonderful things in plan for David. But David also had this attitude of like, I'm going to be used by God. I'm worth something, and that's a great attitude to have. And we will start to see a young man mature starting in this chapter of 16, you know? He has great self-confidence. He, he was gifted. He has wonderful abilities with a self-image where, where you would think that, that he had a wonderful time at home, yet his home life was, they were kind of against him, except for his father really loved him. You know, we don't have to be a victim, of our family. Great things can happen even though, you know, maybe some of us grew up in a a family that wasn't the greatest. Come on. The Lord wants great things out of you. Allow that to envelop you. Allow the Holy Spirit to use that in you so you can be used like David for the Lord. So David goes back to his regular life. He kind of washes the oil out of his hair and he moves on with life. Now Saul is learning to be king without the presence of God, because Saul's attitude had changed. And, and friends actually, you know, encouraged Saul to bring David in to, to, to play his guitar, and it had a, you know, calming effect on Saul. But David also gets a chance to watch what happens, because the king rebels, the king disobeys, the king refuses to acknowledge the Lord's presence, his guidance, his authority, and, and, you know, direction of the Holy Spirit. And David sits there and watches all that happen. Now, in chapter 17, it goes on, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokal in Judah. They pitched camp at uh, Ephesus Dammon between Sokal and Azkah. 
Now, it's really fun when the scriptures uh, do this. God throws in names and, and places of people that you can't even really pronounce. And the reason why he throws these names in here is because this is not a fairy tale. This really happened. There's a place called, you know, Ephes Damon, you know, right between Sokol and Azkaw. Uh, and, you know, this is not Jack and the Beanstalk. This is fact. Verse 2, it goes on, it says, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, and the valley was in between them. And I love this because I've actually been to this place. My wife and I got to go to Israel, and it was a wonderful trip. And, and it, it's amazing. You look on one side, and there's kind of this, this hill, and, and it kind of you know, goes down, as you can see from the picture there. And then all of a sudden, there's a valley in between this, uh, this hill. and It's a wide valley. And then on the other side, you have another hill. And basically what it is is, one encampment, one army would be on one side, and the other army would be on the other side, and they would come down and fight in between. So it says, and you know, they're kind of in a standoff. And it says in verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. Now, depending on how you measure a cubic, you know, it could have been anywhere from 10 or 11 feet, but it describes a real guy and a real hometown. How tall is nine foot? I mean, that's pretty tall. I mean, I can reach up. I can barely scrape eight foot with my hands when I reach up and try to touch a ceiling. Maybe when I was a little younger, I could stretch out a little further, you know, a little taller and so forth. I can barely jump and touch a 10 foot goal, or let me rephrase that. When I played basketball and I was skinny, I could jump up and touch a 10-foot goal, barely. But I could do it. I'd get my fingers kind of right over that rim a little bit. It could never really hang on to it, but I could get up there. Now, nowadays, not so much. But, I mean, this is, this is huge. I'm almost six foot tall, you know, and, and Shaq is like seven foot one and Goliath is nine foot. And this is just the top of his head. Imagine an arm with a sword, you know, coming at you from that high above. You'd be running scared too. I mean, this is scary stuff. This is like, he's a professional fighter. He's like Mike Tyson times two, you know, fight for, for sport. He would fight other men and he would fight other animals. And in the arena, it's kind of almost like a gladiator before his time and so forth. But it goes on and says in, in verse five, he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale of armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. So his jacket was 125 pounds. On his leg, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer, and this guy must have been the most submissive man in, you know, in all of the Philistines, you know, went ahead of him. I mean, his shield would have been a size of <laughs> as tall as David would have been, you know. And the guy's like, you know, kind of a, probably a big guy lifting it up and running ahead of him, you know. Verse, verse 8, it goes on. It says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why don't you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your 
subjects. But I overcome him and kill him. You will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, the story of David and Goliath is loved by the world over. Even if for people who don't believe in the Bible, don't read the Bible, it's the little guy who took out the big guy. The world relates to the story even if they don't relate to the God of the story. And this is really two stories. The second part is David and Goliath, but the first part is Saul and Goliath. Saul was was the big man on campus for Israel. Saul was the leader. He was the king. He stood a, a head taller than any other Israelite. It was Saul who was being challenged day after day because Goliath wanted a, a representative battle. Saul lost the, you know, if Saul would have lost this battle, uh, you know, things would have been bad. So he publicly challenged um, Saul, and Saul kind of lost because he just sat in his tent. Verse 16, it says that for 40 days and nights, this went on. So, so Goliath would have came out in the morning and, and said something. Then in the afternoon, he would have come out again, and he's just kind of taunting them. Kind of reminds me of different Goliaths in our lives. That kind of taunt us, that come at us at at different points in our lives. Some of it's health problems. Many of us have health problems and and we have to deal with those health problems. For some, it's friends and and stuff. It's that that pulling back and forth of, you know, am I, you know, am I friends with this person? Am I not friends with this person? Should I be friends with this person? How are they, are they directing me in, in a way that God wants me to go or not? And that pull back and forth. For some of us, it's COVID. I mean, just the, the whole social distancing and the, the, you know, for those that have kids, the, the, the online school or going back to school, all these things can shake our faith to the core. And Saul at this point is shaken. He is relying on himself instead of the king of kings. Saul allowed the Goliaths in his life to, to set the rules There was many ways to deal with this battle. They could have done a sneak attack in the middle of the night. They could have just left. There was all sorts of ways to deal with this. But, you know, for some reason, we think that life has to set the rules for our life. You know, we have another way to fight the the giants in our lives, and that is with God. He is the most powerful being in the universe. You don't believe me, just look up into the night sky and look at these stars. It's amazing. You can see the Milky Way right there and just, just, you know, one of of the arms kind of stretching out. I mean, it's just amazing what is out there. And God made all that. He can surely help us with our battles because we are frozen by, you know, our own fears, where we can't make decisions. And this is what Saul's doing. You know, he's come to a fork in a road, and both have consequences. Both directions have consequences. And we pray, and God all of a sudden opens up an entirely different road. You know, our, our mind is on, is it this way, or is it that way? And God is like, I'm glad you asked, because it's neither. Because oftentimes we rely on our own flesh, We rely on our own wisdom, and we rely on our own strength. And God is like, I'm glad you came up with those ideas. Those are good ideas, but but those aren't what we're going to do now. 
See, David didn't fight Goliath on Goliath's own terms. Uh, terms. David walked out, picked up a rock, which is not normal. It's a whole different way. Uh, and he was like, I don't even have to get close to Goliath. Look at the story in verse 12 that goes on and says, Now David, the son of Ephronite, uh, named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem and Judah. Jesse had eight sons. In Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was uh, Eliab. The second was Abinadab. And the third was Shema. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. This would have been 10 miles away. We just hop in the car and we're there. But I mean, they would have had to go on foot and so forth. And David was a, he was a shepherd, but he was also a messenger boy. And he would just go back and forth and, and so forth. But, you know, his primary job was taking care of those sheep. Have you ever studied sheep? You know, we, we think that the, the shepherd has the, the staff and he's walking out in front of the sheep and the sheep are all nicely following behind them. And so that's not, a, <laughs> it's a quaint picture, but that's not reality. Shepherds tend to, to stay back and, and watch from behind most of the time. Sometimes there were boys and sometimes there were young women. Um, but, but oftentimes when the sheep would start go, going in a wrong direction, they'd pick up a rock, they'd put it in, a, in their, you know, their, their sling, and, and they would swing it around, and they would throw the rock over near the sheep and try to get them to come back. But when that wouldn't work, they would try to find a tree or a rock that they could hit so it could scare them back. So they would throw the rock so they got really good at aiming. And they would hit that tree or that rock and it would scare the sheep and the sheep would come running back to the direction that that he wanted them to go. But if none of that worked, he would take the rock, he would sling it, and he would nail the the sheep right on the backside. And, you know, of course, that would hurt. And they'd kind of run back and they'd come back to people. And, And, you know, these are great leadership skills to have. Pick up a rock and start throwing it at someone. I mean, the kids learn how to throw rocks. And, you know, it didn't, you didn't take the warning shot. You got hit. Sometimes we got to be hit to get back into place, you know. Verse 11, it goes on. It says, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens from tending uh, the sheep and brought him to the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands, he led them. And see what I mean about about God teaching David leadership skills? Now we get to David's kind of three areas of learning that he's had through his life. First, his home. He learned at home and on the hillside where he watched over the sheep. Secondly, he was in the throne room where David saw, you know, David saw Saul going crazy, you know. And David saw the effects of, of the effects of worship on man and how it calmed him down, where how it centered Saul back toward God and so forth. And then thirdly, he sees the battlefield where he faces Goliath. Verse 17, it goes on. And says, now Jesse said to his son, David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for, for your brothers and hurry to the camp. 
take along these ten cheeses to the commander of the unit. I see he's kind of buttering up the commander here. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They're, they're with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd and loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to the battle positions, shouting the war cry. This is like the locker room. They're psyching themselves up for the battle. You know, they're ready to go out. They're going, we're going to do it this time. They're just all psyched out. In verse 21, it says, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David had left his things with the keeper of supplies ran to the battle lines and greeted his brother. I mean, this is really cool for a teenage boy. He has got there in time. He gets to see the battle. He has not fought in these battles yet. He's like, I get to watch. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to see my big brothers go and and do some major damage. And David is very excited here. Verse 23, it says, As he was talking with him, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now, this has got to be really weird for David. I mean, we know the story. We get the story. David eventually goes out and defeats Goliath. We we get that. But David didn't know the story. David has just arrived, and and he gets to go out and sees it. David doesn't know it, and, and, and he, you know... Man, he, he's just like, I've just been out with the sheep. I got the food. I got everything here. But now I get to see this battle. And what does he see? He sees his brothers running away, looking down into the valley. It says in verse 25, now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will, def- will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. That was a huge deal. Later we meet Saul's daughter, and she turns out to be not such a major blessing. It's kind of like Saul in a sense. But hey, great wealth there, you know? Verse 26, it goes on. It says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Verse 27, they, they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's older, oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why do you come down here? And with, and with whom do you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. Now, this kind of sounds like some older brothers, doesn't it, right? You know, embarrassed, passed over for David already. They're not happy with David because he got anointed and they didn't. And they're like, you're on my turf now. Verse 29, David responds, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. Now, David could have responded differently. 40 days. You know, he's like, man, 
dad thinks you're out here fighting. I'm going to go tell dad you've been running away from this Philistine that's going after the Lord. You know, I'm going to tell. But he doesn't, he doesn't waste his time on that. We see this in church and homes where, where we like to battle over certain things. And our best response sometimes is to turn from it. And we could all learn this, to turn away from that, those things. Maybe just to, to maybe be quiet or walk away from something. But we, you know, we should be trying to get along so we can go out there and do battle together against the enemy, which is Satan. So David wisely chooses his battle. He responds, but then he turns around and walks away. He's not going to fight with his brother over this today. He's got bigger fish to fry because there's this blasphemer down in the valley. And the soldiers are running away from it. And somebody needs to do something. And if it's not going to be them, it's going to be me. That's David's attitude here. Verse 31, it says, What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. And Saul probably starts to chuckle a little bit. And you're not going to be able to, to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. I mean, there's always somebody ready to, to rain on our parade, isn't there? Sometimes we have to just go at it alone. You know, you know we, we need people that are helping. We need people who are praying for each other and, and being our support. But sometimes we just got to go out there and fight the battle. David is thinking, this is for me to do alone. And sometimes we actually feel like we're alone. But are we ever really alone? We start to read the Psalms that David wrote later on. We understand he was close to God. He knew that he wouldn't be doing it alone. In verse 33, he goes on and says, And he had been fighting a man, for, uh, and he had been a fighting man from his youth. 34, it says, but, but David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When, when, a, when a lion and a bear came and carried off uh, a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, I struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and a bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. See, David understands it's not just about him. He sees the armies of the living God with him. Verse 37, the Lord who, who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of, of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a, a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he says to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of a shepherd bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Verse 41, it says, Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, redhead and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by, the, by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you the, the flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. 
David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You see, to David, this story is not just about David and Goliath. This is a story about Goliath versus the Lord God Almighty. It's a huge difference in perspective. Not a little boy with a slingshot. Not a a young man, but, but God versus this idiot of a giant that doesn't understand who he's going up against. You know, like, like this is nothing for God to handle, which is, it is nothing. And the giant is really just so stupid, he can't understand it. He goes on and says in verse 46, this day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the the earth. He's turning the words back on Goliath here. And the whole world will know that there is a God of Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by my sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. You see, our battle, our battles are not battles if we are Christians. What I mean is this, our battles are God's battles. We don't have to do it. God is already working on it. We are part of his, of his army. We are part of a larger picture. In verse 48, it goes on, it says, as a Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with sling and a stone. Without a word, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And we see that David was fighting him on his own terms. If he wouldn't have done it on his own terms, he would have lost. Verse 51, David ran and stood over him. What a moment this had been for David. He runs over and puts his foot, you know, on Goliath. And, you know, he's like, I did it. I really did it. This is unbelievable. And he pulls out Goliath's sword. He can hardly hold it. And he cuts off his head. I mean, that's pretty gross, isn't it? I mean, for, for guys and for, for young men, I mean, this is, we're like, yeah! And the ladies are going, ooh, I, oh, what? what's going on? He goes on and says, he took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its scabbard. And he killed him. He cut off his head, uh, head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn among the, uh, sh- the road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. I mean, how disgusting is this? And he put the Philistines' weapon to his own tent. David took the weapons. Now, why would David, you know, do that? He couldn't use them. No, it was a symbol. It was a sign for him. He could look at those things and see the success of God was on his side. 
goes on and say, verse 55, as Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistines, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young, you know, whose son is that young man? In other words, he's just kind of been a nameless musician guy, you know. Abner replied, as surely as you live, O king, I do not know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. And David still holding the Philistine's head. I love this. He's just walking along, you know, walking around with it. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. And David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. Now, the application here is huge for our lives. Goliath is a type of anything that threatens us, that blasphemes our God, that, that can shake our faith, that can kind of put us down on our back and we're down on the foundation. We have to decide, am I going to stand on this foundation or not? Anytime we feel that we're not up to it. But Goliath has to be dealt with. First, he was in his own camp, and then he was near, you know, their own side, and it has to be dealt with because they're coming out to meet us in battle, and our God can, can and will give us direction in dealing with these Goliaths in our lives when we ask him to. Use the things in, in our life that we've learned is, is, you know, those little things that we learn to persevere in. And eventually when big things happen, we've already learned it when it was small, that I can do this because I persevered in other things. He uses those situations in our lives that we've been in. Our God can and, and will give us those directions. You know, we relate to, da- you know, the failures of David. But we can also relate to the successes as well. This man is a success. He's a huge success. And so are many of us. And and we're going to look silly sometimes dealing with our God. But you would be crazy not to deal with it. It's the Lord's battle. And we need to be encouraged. Because life is a combination of successes and failures. In verse 15, it goes on and says, once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went out with his men uh, to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. And Ishbenob, uh, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and was, was armed with, with a new sword, said, to, said he would kill David. But Abishna, Abishna, can't even say it, came to David's rescue. In other words, another one of David's friends came to his rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. And then David's men swore to him, saying, never again will you go out you know, with us to battle. Uh, with us to, to battle so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. In other words, they're going to go with him every time. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. And at that time, another friend killed Saph, which was another descendant of Rapha. Uh, you know, in other words, there was other giants out there. And his friends came to his rescue. They would have ever tried those type of battles if David hadn't have done it first. Verse 19, it says, in another battle with the Philistines at Gob, um, another guy uh, uh, killed Goliath the, the Gittite, in other words, a relative who had a spear and a shaft like a reaver's wad, uh, rod. And uh, verse 20, and still another battle 
which took place in Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He also was a senator of Rapha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shema, David's brother, killed him. These four were descendants of Rapha and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. When we deal with the giants in our lives, there are those of the, around us that are watching us. And they're like, man, if that scrawny little you know, guy that's being out taking care of the sheep, if he can do it, certainly I can too. Who are those around us that are watching? Our friends, our families, our kids, coworkers, neighbors, this is how you can see God making a difference in people's lives because they're watching how God is dealing with you. How God can give you the strength to deal with these giants. How you can over, overcome the adversity in your life. Uh, you, you know what they say, God can do it for me also because of what he's done for others. Five stones, Goliath and his four brothers. Second Samuel 21, you know, five boys most likely from the same family. You know, other four giants uh, killed by David's friends. I mean, there's all sorts of these giants around and everybody's taking them on. People watch you and your success and then they try it also because the Lord is a powerful God, more powerful than the giants in our lives. It goes on lastly, and I'll end with this. After this battle, David wrote this, in the Psalms. He says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. From violent men you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I'm saved from my enemies. Wow to follow a man like David around, to read his words, to understand his life is an amazing thing. And I, and I praise the Lord that all this is written down in his word that I can read it so many years later and learn from it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for, for loving us like you love David, for giving us examples of, of young men and young women throughout, the, uh, throughout history that, that have fought along beside you that you fought with and that you have saved time after time after time, that stayed with it, that you were their foundation and they built their homes on you. They built their lives on, on you and your direction. And I pray that we can do the same. I pray that you give us the strength to defeat the giants in our lives. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you be blessed when you fight the giants in your life. May you defeat them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.